0: Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey everybody, welcome back to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm here talking with Kobe Conrad. Kobe's a unique guest, to say the least. He sold his first company last year at the age of only 21. And now he started a digital agency that did over $300,000 in revenue in its first year and landed one of the biggest players in the industry Kobe's going after. What's that industry? Well, Kobe calls it the 420 market, but in simple terms, it's a marijuana industry. And Kobe's big client, Grass City, the biggest online head shop in the world. We don't get into the politics in this episode, but we do get into the benefits of niching down, how Kobe builds and leverages relationships with influencers who have access to over 100 million followers, and what reservations Kobe had positioning his agency close to such a controversial industry. Kobe has fun for sure, but you don't build an agency that quickly or land a client that large without knowing what you're doing. And today he shares with us exactly how he did all of that. So without further ado, here's Kobe. Kobe, thanks for joining me today. Thanks. It's um glad to be on here. Yeah, so let's start with your 60-second backstory. Who is Kobe Conrad, and what led you to starting Boise Digital?
1: The very first company I started was called Hippie's Hope Shop, and it was an online retail store. We built up about half a million followers, gone like Forbes, Business Insider. Um, but I really love the marketing aspect of it. And I, so I started the company when I was 19, and then I worked at a local agency called Drake Cooper, and they're the largest agency in Idaho. And there I just really kind of fell in love with the culture and just the lifestyle of running an agency. So after I left Drake Cooper, me and a friend who worked there, uh, we kind of started our own company together called Boise Digital. And then we kind of just leveraged our agency experience that we had at Drake Cooper combined with our skill set that we developed with Hippie's Hope Shop. And we used that to kind of go forwards and sell clients.
0: Nice. And so what were you doing at Drake Cooper? Um, so there
1: I was managing the social media and social ad spend. So I was running basically like Facebook ad campaigns for like really big brands. So like Jackson's and Jcaf and Visit Idaho. So I would go in, we'd make a bunch of different variances. We'd see which variance performs the best. We'd run our uh, ad spend through that variance. But basically it was kind of media buying for social media, which I found a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. And how big it is Drake Cooper? Like how many employees roughly? Uh, I'm not sure. I think like 40 to 50,
1: like from a U.S. size, it's probably a mid-sized agency, mid to a smaller. But for Idaho, it's, it's the biggest one that we got.
0: Did that help you kind of know what to expect when starting out with Voice of Digital or or what was, what were those kind of first few months out on your own?
1: A little bit. Yeah. So Drake Cooper, they definitely opened my eyes to what it's like to kind of be an agency. But it's weird now because I'm kind of looking back at it, right? And I can see like things that I thought while I was working there versus like things that I had to learn by actually doing it. So, like, there's a huge difference between just executing a small account versus like completely understanding how you get that big account or why an agency charges what they charge or why they take the accounts that they do. And a lot of that stuff, um, I, I feel really ignorant to it when I was working there that I kind of had to learn through experience and just kind of getting my hands dirty with my own
0: company. The pricing, was it, did you not understand why they were able to charge so much? Or, or what sort of were some of the specifics that – Kind of you have to reshape by learning yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like um, why they charge so much, why they uh, would work more with creative work instead of like digital advertising. So the price point's definitely one. I definitely have a very different price point than they do. And I kind of realized that agencies, they have different things that they sell too, right? So the one I worked at, they're very much a creative agency. But you also have agencies that are more like development shops or agencies that are more strategic or ones that focus more on the ad spend. So when I left, I had to kind of decide what type of agency I wanted to be. I'm, I'm not like Drake Cooper at all. I'm not, very, I'm not a strong creative guy. Our, our focus more is on influencer marketing and social media and like digital advertising.
0: Okay. When did you actually go out on your own? How long ago was that that you started Boise Digital? Um, So that was about a
1: year ago. This thing happened if you've been following uh, Facebook's organic reach at all. So with my store, Hippies Hope Shop, it was almost completely driven by Facebook traffic. And we were making a lot of money, well, like 10 a month, which is good for a 19-year-old. But... uh, (laughs) and then organic reach just completely dropped out from underneath of us. So we went from doing about 10k a month to the first 2 weeks in January of 2015, we did $500. And I was wow wow, this is bad. So like we eventually we built it back up a little bit. But at that time, I was like, I really, we need to focus on something else. So I launched uh, Boise Digital and then another company called Boise Cleaning Fairy at the same time, which were two uh, service businesses. So a little bit more brick and mortar, still in the digital space. Basically, it came out of a necessity of my current project was kind of going downhill due to market forces. And I needed to figure out some new way of creating revenue. So out of necessity.
0: What is Boise Digital like to, like, how much revenue are you doing? How, what is, where are you guys at right now?
1: So combined Boise Digital and Boise Cleaning Fairy do about half a million. Boise Digital by itself probably does about 300,000. Yeah, so we have a bunch of clients within the, our local space. We do work for a local university, Boise State University, Boise Frico, Sockeye Brewing, uh, Proof I Wear a little bit. But our largest client is actually um com. And they are the uh, largest online head shop in the entire world. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, they started back in 2000. But they, they're kind of an older shop. And they needed to basically create a stronger focus on their social media and their digital marketing. So they brought us on for a very large amount that basically makes up the bulk of Boise Digital.
0: You You have some other bigger clients you're working with. How did you kind of out of the gate land those clients? So... When I first
1: started, the first couple clients we did for free. We Basically, we needed to build ourselves a portfolio, so we took a couple key clients that had really good local branding, so like Boise Frico, and then um, we built them a website when they needed a website. So we did a couple free ones to kind of build up our portfolio. Uh, just through hitting up businesses and hitting up people within our own network, we kind of expanded like that. And it's interesting because... At the start, we took on every single client we could find. But as we've gone on, like honestly, I think the thing that has helped us grow the most is knowing when to say no to a client. I think at the start, the first couple months, we spent a lot of time just kind of chasing our tail and chasing clients that were kind of bad clients, like good people, but the money and the price point wasn't there. We weren't really being able to do great work for them. Um,
0: What about it do you think wasn't a good fit? Was it just that they didn't have much of a budget? Were they too controlling or what was it that you think made them not a good client?
1: Yeah, uh, I think part of it's the budget. Part of it is it's some people, they need something done, but they don't really understand what they need done. You can spend a lot of time like chasing a bad client and then never get anywhere. Like I kind of think of it as um, an agency is just kind of like an expansion of freelancing, right? So when you're a one person, I think the worst thing you can do is have a bad job, because that's like the definition of a bad client. It takes up all of your time. You're not going anywhere with it. And it's, it's the same thing where, when you're an agency is you can have a bad client um, and they suck up all of your time and you're spending all your efforts trying to make this one client happy. And instead, you're losing the opportunity cost of if they're a good client, you didn't have to worry about them so much, you, then you could go off and you can sell other good clients. So I think the thing that really helped us get to where we are right now being able to say no to clients.
0: Was there like a certain aha moment? You're like, all right, we're never doing that again. Or what made you kind of come to that realization?
1: I, there wasn't really an aha moment. It, I think that kind of ties back into me realizing Kind of realizing why Drake Cooper does what they do. When I was there, like I didn't understand why they only picked certain clients, but I I understand that now. And we follow a very similar process to like how we choose our clients. It's, it's kind of just the combination of seeing people around me who are doing it very well, and then see and then running into like trouble clients. So <laughs> there's like one of the first ones we took on. Uh, they're a security company, and like the owner. Like, he was nice to me, but he, I don't know, he just like yelled all the time. The money wasn't very good. And we were like, we did so much work and they just didn't appreciate our price point. We mm-hmm. wanted to pay a fixed price of like, it's like $2,000 for a website, but we're doing it completely 100% custom development. We threw in a photo shoot, whereas um, the, the, the money and the client uh, match up, and the work just wasn't really that great. So now we want to do clients where we get paid well, the clients are really good to work with and the work that we do is work that will get noticed. So like with grass city, We're going to build them the largest 420 social out of any other head shop in the entire world. That's cool.
0: When you say 420 social, what do you mean?
1: Basically, out of any other head shop, we're trying to build them more social media than anyone else has. So by being able to do that, we can define ourselves in this industry. And people look at that like uh, other, other companies are looking at that. And they're seeing the work that we do for this client. And they're like, we want to use Boise Digital too. And by picking accounts where we have the opportunity to do really good work, um, even if the money isn't as good or maybe if the client has problems, it, it, it allows you to kind of promote yourself like that, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like it, no one cares if you do great work, but no one else sees it. It doesn't, it doesn't help you. The client might like it, but if, if it's not public, it's not really going to help bring you guys to where you want to be. To back up a little bit, you start you were doing some free work, getting some bigger logos on the page, building a portfolio, kind of learning as you went, growing. And then what how did you land such a big like how did you Grass City approach you or did you approach them? Or what was that process like?
1: It actually they approached me on a Clarity FM. I did a lot of consulting. Um, and one of the people I did consulting for was uh, dankstop.com. And I helped them out when they're really small. I talked to the owner for a couple hours and showed him how to do social and SEO and stuff. And he left me a really good review. They grew to be one of the largest head shops and a very major competitor with grasscity.com. And uh, dankstop, they never ended up hiring my agency. But because of the review, GrassCity found me through that. And uh, they, Grass City ended up hiring me uh, for their company. So it's, it's been interesting because I, I did a lot of consulting like one to two years ago. And a lot of the people I do work for, they've or did work for, they've become pretty influential. And it's just interesting because I think uh, doing consulting, whether it's paid or free, is probably the absolute best thing you can do as far as networking and as far as uh, making new clients goes.
0: And when you, and when think, you say doing consulting, do you, you mean like um, strategy advice and that type of thing?
1: Yeah. So um, I mean, my skill set is a media buyer. So most of the consulting I do is people who want to run media. So it'll be about Facebook ads, um, mostly Facebook ads, some SEO stuff, some startup stuff. But um, yeah, no, consulting just in general is awesome because the people who are willing to pay you $100, $150 an hour for your time, those are going to be good clients because those are the clients who are willing to pay you upfront just to talk to you and ask you what your opinion is versus the client who wants to have like a 20-page um, brief of like what you're going to do for them. And they're not going to pay you to create that 20-page brief, of course.
0: One of the easiest tests to see if someone's going to be a good client is how they value your time. And if they expect you to do all the spec work, all the stuff for free, they probably... They don't value your time. I mean, they, they literally don't. They're not paying you for it. And so if they're paying you to book a time on Clarity to talk to you just to pick your brain, then you're right. That, that's a great signal that, hey, this person respects me. They actually value the advice. This would be a great person to work with. Exactly. Were you concerned at all about taking on a client in such a sort of controversial space like that?
1: Um, yeah, I, I definitely have to say I am. So the reason, here's the reason why I did it. When I started Hippies Hope Shop, um, it's, it's in a similar niche, right? So what we ended up doing was selling tapestries and jewelry and kind of stuff like that. But when we first started it, I was very seriously considering selling glass and I didn't end up doing it. And I didn't end up doing it because I live in Boise, Idaho, and we have some of the worst laws in the United States regarding cannabis.
0: And and just for listeners who aren't aware, by glass, you mean like smoking devices yes, pretty much, right? Like, like bongs and pipes, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, so, and I did consulting for DankStop. And DankStop, they're were, they were, uh, newer than me. And they started from zero. And I showed them what to do. And they did it. And they became really big. And that's obviously a ton of effort and work on their own part. The guy who started it, super talented dude. I kind of realized I missed the boat when it comes to that. Because I could have been that major competitor to Grass City. And I didn't want to basically miss my opportunity again. So when I had the opportunity to kind of dive into this niche of 420 marketing, I I jumped on it because I, I think the industry is going to blow up, honestly. Like we just got an article on Forbes talking about how it's supposed to be a $40 billion industry by the year 2020. I think in 10 years, it's going to be looked at a lot like alcohol. And there's going to be an agency that's the number one 420 agency in the world. And I would really like to be that agency. And I think that I have a really big client in that sphere that we can kind of expand and work off of. And I think that as time goes on, it's going to become more legalized. The industry is going to become more open. And there's going to be a lot more opportunity in this space.
0: I mean, I was going to ask you a lot of those questions. I was going to say, like, are you planning on kind of pivoting and, and focusing on this industry? And it seems like the answer is a resounding yes. So do you do you stick with the Boise digital name? Are you thinking about changing it or are you just kind of seeing how it goes?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to oh. take it very slow. Um, basically, I have a couple of major industry partners we're thinking about merging with, Grass City being one of them.
0: When you say merging, what what do you mean by merging? How would you merge with Grass City?
1: So this is completely up in the air. Um, Still talks about it with them and everything. But basically, we already run such a large chunk of their marketing, Right. And there's other brands that have seen the work that we've been doing and have been really interested in using us that are kind of competitors to Grass City. So to make sure there's no conflict of interest, uh, we've been thinking about giving them some equity and kind of bringing them on board to Boise Digital. Uh, I think because number one, it eliminates the competition. Uh, issue And number two, like these guys are like the titans of this industry. I mean, they started in 2000, and they're the number one headshot because while Operation Pipe Dreams has been going on, these guys have been just set shipping bongs back to the U.S. for the last 15, 16 years without any competition.
0: And Operation Pipe Dream is, just for listeners who don't know, that's when the U.S. started cracking down on online head shops, right? Yeah, exactly. And they have a couple
1: other uh, foreign competitors, but the space hadn't really been um, that established. So these guys, they they know all of the current major brands in this industry. So from a competition standpoint, it's smart to bring them on. From a partner and network standpoint, it's smart to bring them on because they could definitely help us expand our agency in that way, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, so you would almost be like, under the Grass City brand, you would kind of be like their service partner. Exactly. They would offer service. Exactly. Okay.
1: So I, uh, we're still just talking about how we right. structure, but yeah, we're going to bring them on, and we're going to basically leverage, or if this works out, I want to help us leverage the Grass City brand to kind of expand us as the number one 420 agency. Name wise, uh, like you're asking, so I, uh, Boise is the city of trees. So we're actually thinking about just keeping uh, Boise Digital as Boise Digital and just kind of rebranding it as the Agency of Trees. Interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's clever. I don't think Boise had that in mind originally, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Our uh, governor will probably kind of laugh at me, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you,
0: you landed this big client. You're doing work with them and they're in a blowing up market. No matter what side of the politics you're on, it's clear that things are changing and the market's only going to get bigger. Um, so what type of work are you doing for an e-commerce site that is so large? Like, What are you doing to help them? Mm-hmm.
1: So the number one type of work that we do for all of our clients is actually influencer marketing. So the 420 industry is very interesting because – it's You can't advertise like a traditional company, right? So you can't advertise on Facebook, you can't advertise on Google. And I think these restrictions are still going to apply even when the industry gets legalized. Because you look at like tobacco, right? You still can't advertise tobacco on Facebook or Google. So the way that these companies have to advertise is through influencer marketing And that is what we are planning on specializing in, basically, is we have a couple of partners um, that we're bringing on. Uh, Chief Greenbud is one of them. Uh, He has about 2.4 million Facebook followers, and his page gets really good reach. But basically, what we do is we negotiate sponsorships with influencers in the 420 space on the behalf of 420 brands. It's really interesting because it combines my two loves of social media and digital ad buying, where we're combining social media and how edge affects our posts with how do we buy an ad and then evaluate it on a CPM or CPC and like how much on ROI basis, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of fun. You don't need one of the specifics of any actual partnership with with these influencers but like how do you approach them what are the deals like how does influencer marketing kind of work behind the scenes
1: it's interesting when we first started it was basically us just approaching people but now
0: we've become very was that just kind of sending them a message an email or what was that yeah
1: so some of them have actually contacted us so chief greenbud he actually saw a post from me on business insider And then he shared one of my product pictures one day, and we got like $1,000 in sales. And I was like, what the hell? What's going on here? And then I uh, found his post, and I was like, oh, wow, thanks. And we've kind of just been working, we've worked together on a number of things since then. But yeah, so when the client has a bigger budget, we'll reach out to more people past our immediate network. Total, we have about 100 million uh, page likes, followers that we kind of work with between Instagram and Facebook. And now we're kind of at this point where we have really good relationships with these people. And we can get our... um, our ad buys at a much cheaper price point than what you'd get normally if you just hit up these people so because we operate like as focusing on this niche and because we're buying so much space we're able to basically negotiate better deals than what you'd get normally
0: i see because you have the longer term relationship with them because it's not kind of a one-off thing it's it's something that's yeah okay that makes sense what do the kind of placements, the the sponsored posts, whatever, look like? Is it just them posting a picture of a bong and a link to buy it, or is there more to it?
1: Yeah, no, exactly. So it's really simple. Like on Instagram, for example, we have a pretty big page, about 1.5 million followers. Um, we'll buy a, a post, and usually it'll cost anywhere from like 400 to $600. And on that post, it'll just be a really nice picture of like a bong or a pipe. And then um, sometimes we'll do a contest, but usually it's just the product photo. And then we say, hey, go follow our friends at Grass City or at whatever. And then um, we track engagements. We track new followers. We track sales to the best of our ability. It's really hard on Instagram, but you can still kind of tell. Like when you post a picture of a product and then you start selling a bunch of that specific product right afterwards, you can kind of tell
0: that that's where it came from. Um, But, yeah. So on Instagram, that's because you can't have – Direct links like that? Yeah, exactly. You're driving them to the site to buy the product. Are you also trying to... Like, I'm guessing Grass City, they can't directly advertise, but they... Have their own social media presence, right? Yes, yeah. So, is part of it growing that as well? Yes,
1: definitely. Okay. So it really depends on like the KP of the client or the KPI of the client. Um, I don't want to say exactly what uh, my objectives for Grass City are. Yeah, that's fine. But um, yeah, no, whatever the client's KPI is, we can. Create a campaign that's tailored to that. So if you want sales, we can focus on creating a direct ROI on our ad spend. If you want followers, we can focus on building up your followers as most as possible. If you're looking just for blind impressions and engagement, we can focus on that too. There's a lot of difference and variance between how pages perform. And that's kind of where we come in as the quote-unquote experts of this industry is we can tell, hey, if you're trying to do this This is how you want to spend your money with this specific person.
0: I I know you're primarily doing influencer marketing. You're primarily going after these places on digital ad buys on social networks. Are you looking into other channels? Like, are you are you working with their email list, or is that kind of a separate? sort of department that is handling that or agency that's handling that?
1: Yeah, no, we do that too. Um, so we're a full service agency. We have in-house developers, designers, photographers, videographers. So we can do anything. So the usually what gets us in the door is the influencer marketing. But then that opens us up to other aspects of the account too. So we can do email marketing for people. We can build them websites. We can run SEO campaigns. We can run PR campaigns. Um, we can basically do anything that our clients need.
0: You're bringing, you're getting them. It's so, not the loss leader because I'm guessing the margins are still pretty good. But the way to attract them, the way to pe- get people to you guys is through the influencer marketing, especially in the 420 space, which you, makes you guys stand out. But then once you've proven yourself there, you're able to expand by offering more traditional marketing services. Uh, is that accurate? Yeah, exactly.
1: Keep it at that. Their biggest part is the form.grasscity.com, honestly, which is basically it's this huge community, and um, I think that's one of the reasons why they've done so well is because I I didn't usually like forms. Okay, I'm a very kind of newer guy, and forms always kind of struck me as very old school uh, stuff. But I I have been I've seen the light recently because. I didn't realize this, but when you post a a thread on a form, that's a keyword. So every time you post something, like on Reddit or on the Grass City form, that's new keywords being indexed. Um, And because of that, uh, they've become uh, really, really, really big.
0: Yeah. And it's all user generated as well. If there's just conversations happening naturally on the site, that's helping with your SEO.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's just a combination of that. And they've been around for so long, they've built up a lot of really strong resources. Um, But honestly, uh, the CEO and everyone at Grass City, they're really, really smart guys too. So you have this combination of they've kind of had a head start backed by really, really talented people in-house.
0: Are you leveraging that the forums? Like, are you are you doing anything with that, or is that uh, kind of yeah? Dis-
1: no, we try whenever we take on a client, we try and leverage whatever assets they have. So, like back with Hippies Hope when we were running that, um, what we would do is we would take our big community, the hippie bloggers. And then we would promote our other communities. So like our Instagram page or our Pinterest page. And we would use that to kind of expand into other channels. So whenever I take a client on, the very first thing I look at is what assets, what communities are currently at my disposal. And then I'll take the current communities and I'll use those and I'll leverage them to kind of build up the other communities that we're working
0: towards. I'm going to stop Kobe there for a quick word from our sponsor. But when we come back, we're going to talk about how you actually get people to buy on social media. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners. And while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork, but without all the crazy fees – Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, let's get back to Kobe. Once you've done it, once you've built up these big communities on the social channels, like from my knowledge of social media, like people don't want to just see someone constantly, almost not spamming them, but constantly telling them to buy, to buy this, buy that. And so how are you kind of nurturing those communities while still balancing that with driving results?
1: We like to post usually one product photo a day, no matter what brand we're working for. But then we usually like to have two or three other posts that are kind of have nothing to do with sales. It's definitely a balancing act. I, I don't think social media is a great place to make that direct conversion, especially going forwards, as there's been more emphasis on Facebook's rank changing and hating links and sales. Um, you can still kind of do it on Instagram, but I think even that is going to eventually change. To me, social media, it's almost like the infrastructure for your community. It's building up a group of people that like to talk about a specific niche. And it's kind of like, it's, my comparison would be if you're making a sales, it's talking about sports. Even though you go into the office and you're trying to sell somebody, and you, maybe you're trying to sell them a website, but you're talking about his favorite sports team. To me, that's what social media is. is it's talking to your community about something they love to create a connection with those people.
0: And so it's sort of building rapport, like getting them to just building a relationship in general.
1: Exactly. So it does that. It creates social proof. And then when they need your service, they need to buy something, then they'll come back to you and they'll buy it from you as opposed to someone else that they have no connection with.
0: In terms of thinking of like a like a sales funnel, that the step to getting to the conversion is it's softer. It's not necessarily you're making always making a direct hard pitch. It's just being front of mind so that when they realize they need it, they know where they're gonna go.
1: Exactly. So you do that and then when you have a sale, then you push it as an actual sale. So the day-to-day organic stuff that we talk about, it's usually not sales stuff. But then we'll do a sales thing and then we'll promote it with Facebook ads or we'll set up a remarketing campaign or we'll send out a blast to the newsletter. Or in the case of the 420 industry, we'll buy sponsored posts on other people's pages to promote a specific sale. Um, But we try to keep what we talk about on our own communities very organic and not salesy at all.
0: I guess my other question then is how do you do this internally? Like how do you do this to help grow Boise Digital? Because I know you've you've gotten – a ton of media exposure. You've been in business of Forbes, a business insider Forbes, all stuff like that. So are you doing some of these same tactics to grow your own agency?
1: Honestly, no. Um I so I think part of the trick of being a good agency is only taking on the right clients. And sometimes that means that social media doesn't work for everyone. Like uh if I need more clients, the way I'm gonna find that isn't through social media. I mean, I can run a social account to kind of show people examples of my work and stuff. But I'm, I'm not going to get a bunch of clients because I have 100,000 Facebook followers. I'm going to get a bunch of clients because I have a really good relationship with uh, very with people in the right position, if that makes any sense. it's It's very much a networking game, not so much like direct sales like I would on a normal Facebook channel. To me, social media works best when it's business to consumer. If it's business to business, like in an agency, I mean, you can use LinkedIn to an extent, But that's more direct sales than social media is.
0: The business to consumer, the price points are lower. It's different things. They're not necessarily impulse buys, but they're smaller things. Whereas when you're doing B2B, when you're working with someone's business, when you're providing high value services, there needs to be a lot bigger element of trust involved because you're working on their livelihood.
1: Exactly. Like when someone gives you $100,000 for a contract, they're not doing that because they saw a really interesting Facebook post. (laughs) They're doing that after hours of discussion and talking about their brand and creating a proposal for exactly what you're going to give them. And um, yeah, it's just a completely different sale than trying to sell a bong or a tapestry.
0: (laughs) Right. Going with that, what is your plan? Like, What are your next steps to kind of, take this new positioning in the 420 market and run with like, how are you going to get the next client?
1: Definitely. So I'm, like I said, I'm being really slow with it. I'm trying not to do anything until after December. We have some changes coming up with um, a couple of our accounts that we want to create some really cool case studies over. But the plan basically is to merge with a couple of key industry partners that will help us become a much stronger uh, agency. So Grass City, Chief Green Bud. What I want to do is there is a ridiculous amount of money being tossed around in, like, uh, Colorado and Washington. And you have these big VC companies that are just dumping a lot of money into really bad uh, 420 startups. And so what I want to do is I basically I want to create an agency that can kind of cater to this market. So if you have an idea for an app and then you go and raise some money, then a lot of times what those people do is they'll go to an agency and have the agency build out the actual product. So I want to basically I have some friends who are uh, basically very connected within uh, venture capitalist groups. And I want to create partnerships there that allow us to get in contact with people who are just raising money and have just secured their funding. And then I'll basically pitch them as, hey, uh, we're Boise Digital. We're one of the best 420 agencies. We have the brand and experience that comes with Grass City being part of us and having a literal rock star as part of our company. So right now, cannabis in some way or like medically or recreationally is legal in about 50% of the United States. I think that at one point it's going to kind of flip on like a switch and it's going to open up the entire industry. And that means there's going to be at least like 20 states that have absolutely no infrastructure marketing-wise. And they're going to need websites built and social media managed and ad campaigns ran. And um, we want to be position ourselves to be the most logical choice for those people to choose once the industry gets fully legalized.
0: Yeah, there will almost be a certain tipping point where it's just the the wave kind of – you're trying to catch the wave yeah, as, it, as it builds up. Exactly. How do you do that internally? Like how do you – will you need to kind of build out your own staff and your own kind of – agency to be able to handle that as you get ready to to grow.
1: So that's another reason why we're thinking about merging with a couple of people. By merging with other companies, we can help leverage their resources and their um, talented in-house people. Um, also, and that's the other reason why I'm being kind of slow about it. I'm not just going out and pitching people right now is that I, I want to build myself up kind of through these anchor accounts and get a couple of really large sized accounts that can help support my, uh, work staff. And then, yeah, so after December, the goal is to kind of ramp up until then, bring on the people we need to bring and then just hit sales really hard at the start of the year.
0: When you say hit sales, like I, I always am interested to hear what different agency owners, like how they approach sales. And so when you say you're going to ramp up, I get all that. You're going, to, you're going to kind of deliver on the contracts you have. Make sure you get everything in place. I get that part. When you say you're going to hit the sales really hard, like what sort of things are you going to be doing? Is it going to be going to conferences? Will it be cold calling? What what will your take be to start making some of those connections?
1: So we actually have a lot of people we can reach out to immediately. Um, and that's one of the benefits of grass city is that as being the largest head shop, they work with the largest suppliers. They work with the largest media companies. They work with people who are very heavily invested in like venture capital within the 420 industry. So there's a lot of just immediate contacts that we know that we can just send an email to and get a really good introduction from the CEO of our friends. Um, So that's basically the first way we're going to do it. So uh, the other thing we want to do is basically hit PR really hard. So the way we do that is we'll formulate a pitch idea. So basically um, talking about the marketing within the 420 space and our role in that. And we'll try and get some PR articles revolving around that. And then um, trying to create some strategic partnerships when it comes to VC groups and angel groups and... um, It's called the Venture College in Boise, but it's basically like... It's like an accelerator? Yeah, accelerator, startup incubators. We want to create partnerships there where we can create maybe a free website for the accelerator and in exchange they recommend us to some of their better companies and just kind of stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a lot of that, the the PR side at least, is, is basically just influencer marketing without the social component. It's getting press, it's building yourselves as a brand to kind of so people are aware that, hey, these are the guys that do this in the 420 space.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like um, I didn't graduate from college, but I got uh, articles on Forbes and Business Insider and Yahoo Finance. And you'd be surprised just how much influence like a just a, an article can give you. Like as soon as we got our Business Insider article, we found angel funding within a week. <laughs> So it, it can be kind of crazy. Like you can find clients and really strong connections through PR. Um, like Chief Greenbud, he found us through an article and he shared our post. Um, how do you
0: get those placements, that PR? Like how do you get featured on Business Insider, Forbes, or Yahoo Finance or any place like that?
1: Definitely. So, what we do is we we determine what we want our pitch to be. So, and then we basically, we research uh, authors who are currently writing in that industry. And it's honestly, it's just a numbers game. If I, send out, I create a pitch that revolves around my concept, and then if I send that out to 100 different authors, I know that there's going to be a conversion rate on that. So maybe 3 to 5% of them will end up writing an article about me. So we basically create the concepts, pitch people, and then just follow through with your leads. And if you pitch enough people and you have a good enough concept, you'll find people that will want to write an article about you.
0: Is that, is that similar to kind of some of the side of, of the work you're doing for your clients?
1: Yeah, no, and we do that for our clients as well. So, like, we'll run a PR campaign, and I'm sure we're very different than, like, your traditional PR where this is your messaging and stuff. For us, it's more of, like, a contact and a footword game. So um, we definitely do this for our clients. Like, we just landed an article on Forbes, uh, I forget which section, but we just landed an article on Forbes about uh, the 420 industry, and we got Grass City in it. It is really good for a number of reasons. It makes the client looks good, but also uh it's kind of an SEO strategy too, right? You get uh article on Forbes and that's a really strong backlink from a really big website that helps as well.
0: To to back up a little bit, we we talked a bit kind of about your, your bigger plans long term we talk about what you're going to be doing until December but like what are you doing right now like what does the next month look like for you
1: honestly I'm just enjoying life and executing like uh someone paid me to roll a blunt yesterday that's pretty
0: <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> how did how'd that come up
1: excellent I posted an article on reddit it went a little viral we drove a bunch of traffic um yeah no it, it went really well like, so it's
0: literally just like a content marketing piece? Yeah, exactly. We, we're just
1: making content for the YouTube channel. We're making content for the magazine. Um, like, we're having a, like, I can't believe people are paying me to do this. Like, is this so much fun? Um, I, I absolutely love this industry. Um, we don't do anything in Idaho, like filming wise, but we'll drive over to like Oregon. And then like, we're literally being paid to smoke out of really awesome glass that we get to keep at the end of it.
0: How so far is the drive to Oregon?
1: Is, it's like 40 minutes. We're
0: pretty oh, close. Oh, that's not bad. Okay. yeah. And so just so listeners are aware, and when you mentioned Oregon and uh, Colorado earlier, those are two states where marijuana is legal recreationally. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you started out, though, it, you didn't have this kind of vision of being the 420 agency, or did you? Was this like a plan from the beginning, or did it kind of just happen? I know you talked about the clarity call and all of that changing things, but- did you have this in the back of your head from day one?
1: No, definitely not. Like uh, originally, we didn't take on any four hundred and twenty clients. Honestly, I probably wouldn't have taken a four hundred and twenty client if it was if Grass City didn't contact me first. They they were just so huge that I just couldn't say no. <laughs> so yeah, no, originally like it was a. Uh, Fry company, a sunglass company. We did, I mean, we did work for our local university. That's right. It's very government and structured. They weren't extremely thrilled about my new clients, but Grass City was just so much bigger than anyone else. I just couldn't say no. So there's definitely been a shift between where we started and where we're planning to go. And like I said, everything is still kind of in the works. We'll see what ends up happening over the next couple of months. But if everything... Um, Ends up going well, we definitely will switch to more of a 420 focus going, uh, going forwards.
0: Yeah, and a lot of the guests I've had on, on the podcast have talked about the benefits of having kind of that strong positioning where instead of just being a full service digital agency, You're the agency for X, and that could be the 420 industry, that could be for Shopify e commerce stores, it could be whatever. But a lot of people still resist that. Did you have any reservations? And I know you still haven't fully completed the process and you still have more traditional clients, but have you had any reservations about picking kind of a narrow niche like that?
1: Um, yeah, no, there's definitely lots of reservations. Um, yeah, no, definitely lots of reservations. Like, cause if we do this, I mean, we're going all in, right? Right. I mean, I, I started a hippie shop first and like I've been on a THC magazine, but to have Boise Digital, which is like the largest company I've started so far and to have that be strictly 420 focused, I, we'll, we'll see how it plays
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> because I, that's the thing is a lot of, a lot of the advice other guests will give is that in most cases, you can an agency if they're thinking about specializing in like one of the other guests does um basically design conversion rate optimization and all, all of that for um membership sites built on wordpress so instead of just wordpress it's membership sites and a lot of their advice will be well you can always go back to something different but i feel like in your case <laughs> you're not really gonna be able to go back
1: no <laughs> yeah no it's definitely uh we're diving in but you know I don't think people really care. Like there's this taboo about it and maybe like 10% of people are like, oh, I'm not going to work with these guys because they're in this niche. But I haven't had any clients drop me that are in the traditional space. And everyone I've talked to, they haven't cared that it's a 420 company. I mean, when we talk about it, we're talking about millions of keywords and reaching millions of people. And they see amazing analytics that you would never see in a different industry. And because of this, there's definitely a very professional focus to it. And I think that people at the end of the day, they care about whether or not you make the money, not whether or not your drug of choice is uh, weed over alcohol.
0: Yeah, I think that's a perfect way of phrasing it because at the end of the day, you're right. The the numbers are what matter. The results are what matter. And if you can deliver results to a company of that size, that's what people are going to care about.
1: Exactly. And I've done a good job of proving that we can create revenue in a lot of different ways, whether it's through my clients with Boise Digital or through my own brands. like I've We've shown that, hey, we can take something from scratch, we can create a brand around it, and we can make a lot of money with a very simple concept. And it doesn't matter what it is. It can be cleaning, it can be a hippie shop, it can be an uh, online head shop. It doesn't matter what it is, we can do a really good job of making money with it.
0: Do you think you're going to stay... Keep running the cleaning business.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, so we rank number one on Yelp, Thumbtack, Google Plus, Local, and we're starting to we rank number two organically on Google for almost every major keyword. Cleaning's awesome because, like, with Hippies Hope, is like our average sale value was like thirty dollars. But with cleaning, I mean, an average contract is like almost two grand. So there's just is
0: that is that lifetime
1: value because they're yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. yeah yeah lifetime value is about two grand per client, and that's if I take on a good client like it's really similar like just seeing the overlap between a digital agency and then like a cleaning company because they're both service industries and they both have a lot of things very similar like the trick is to take on good clients it's not so much um quantity of clients so yeah no we're definitely going to keep running that um it it makes really good money and i think it has a lot of potential to keep getting bigger as well
0: how much time like how are you splitting your time up between the agency and the cleaning company right now
1: Definitely. So, um, I have the cleaning company doesn't take any of my time. I have a uh, director of operations. His name's Tyler. I started it with my girlfriend Emily and then my other business partner uh, Nicholas. So there's a lot of people involved that can basically manage the day to day operations of it. So the cleaning company, I don't really have to put any
0: time. Okay, in. so you're still able to focus on Boise Digital.
1: Exactly, and even with Boise Digital, it's it's that's automated too. Like I I have a job that I do for Boise Digital, and that is I'm I'm the media buyer, and I pay myself a salary in exchange for doing this job and but the rest of the company is all completely automated so like i there is an account manager and the account manager basically manages a specific account and he'll make sure he'll interact with the client. He'll make sure all the work is being executed. And then my job is I basically manage the overall strategy of the account. So I make sure the money and the resources are being spent and allocated in the correct way. And then I, my day-to-day job is I, I run the media. So I'll make the ad buys. And, um, yeah, so I, uh, have you ever read the book 4-Hour uh, Week? Yep. I'm a huge fan of that, but instead of four hours, I work 40 hours.
0: <laughs> but you still use all the automations and, and kind of – you focus on your most valuable hours instead of just doing – trying to do everything yourself. Exactly. Have you read 80-20 um, Sales and Marketing?
1: Uh, I've heard of that. Really good things.
0: Yeah. So it's by Perry Marshall. It's, it's a great book and it, it talks about similar principle but it goes a little deeper where it talks about how if you break down the tasks that anyone does in a single day – Even if you get paid a set salary or set hourly rate, those tasks don't all have the same value. And so one of the biggest things you can do for your business is find out what tasks that you do that have the biggest returns and focus on just doing those and basically outsource the rest.
1: Exactly. No, Um. Exactly. I think that also applies with uh, like individual people as well. So like when you hire someone, I think the first 20 hours that they work are a lot more productive than the second 20 hours that they work. So you can apply that logic to your individual employees too, right? So if you need to hire a blogger, it can very often be a lot better to hire two part-time people instead of one full-time people because like let's say there's a huge burst of work. Now you have two f- part-time people that are trained that can kind of do it simultaneously and get the job done twice as fast. And at the same time, they don't get burnt out of, oh, I just spent 20 hours writing articles straight. That's really a ton of work. Now I have to spend another 20 hours writing. So um, there's lots of different ways you can apply the concepts.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that because you're right. If you give – and then the other side of it is that if you give somebody, say, 40 hours – Most tasks kind of balloon to take up the amount of time that they're given. Exactly. And so if someone's working part-time, they'll usually – the person working full-time isn't getting two times as much done as the person working part-time. To kind of wrap things up and kind of summarize some of the things that we've been talking about and make it a bit more actionable, what advice would you give to the agency owner still working to get to that – Three to five hundred thousand dollar a year revenue point, or even if they're already there but they didn't get there so quickly, what advice would you have to give them to kind of accelerate things a bit?
1: The number one piece of advice I have to anyone who's trying to basically expand where they are is to take a serious, hard look at your clients and, and ask yourself if they're good clients. Like honestly, we when we started, we had a bunch of very small clients. They weren't really good clients. They weren't paying well. The work wasn't. Um, there wasn't industry-level work. And I I actually fired about half of them. So I, uh, at one point, I was like, um, thanks so much for having us do work for you. I really appreciate the opportunities you've given me, but I just don't think that I can keep doing work for you. Uh, thank you so much. And when I did that, that basically that opened up the doors for us to kind of take it to the next level, is that you can spend your entire day just chasing your tail for the rest of forever, but if you want to get big, in my opinion, it's the tr- the trick is to take on the right clients because it's it, you can have the best agency, you can have a ton of financing, but if you're taking on clients that aren't paying you well, that don't value your time, that are really hard to work with, um, that's going to prevent you from succeeding more than anything else.
0: That's awesome advice. I couldn't agree with it more. If our listeners want to follow your, your story, follow how things develop with Boise Digital with you and see kind of how you apply that own that advice in your own life, where is the best place for them to do that?
1: Um, so I have a little blog, uh, just kobeconrad.com. You can also visit our website, uh, Boise Digital. We're actually going to be re-launching that. I think we have the classic agency problem of we're our own worst client (laughs) but um yeah no uh either on my website or follow us on boise digital and yeah no there's lots of cool things to be coming soon
0: great and i'll make sure to get all that linked up in the show notes for everybody to check out in kobe i just want to say thanks again for coming on the show i really appreciate it
1: awesome thank you so much andy this was my very first podcast i really appreciate it
0: That was a fun and unique interview to say the least, and while the underlying principles of marketing don't change from market to market, it's still always interesting to me to hear how it works in practice in different industries, especially in industry where one of the biggest influencers is named Chief Greenbud. Kobe hustled to build his agency for sure, Take on free work wherever he could just to help build his name, and those bets paid off, allowing him to move up the ladder. But what really set Kobe apart? was how he leveraged his personal relationships to grow his business. And I hate calling this networking, because that always conjures up these images of sleazy salespeople trying to hand out as many business cards as they can. But at his heart, this still was networking. Kobe just did it in a different, more personal way. Instead of selfishly trying to make friends with people who could help him, Kobe gave advice and help to everybody he could. Many of those people became influential and continued to speak highly of him, so the clients kept coming in. He also made sure to work with high-profile clients so that the work he did for them would be seen by other potential clients. Now, I'm not telling you to go do free work to pad your portfolio. Most of us have bills we have to pay, but I am saying try to find ways to help spread your expertise. This could be something as simple as taking paid calls on Clarity.fm, or it could be hosting a free luncheon for the local chamber of commerce. You should also find ways to get the work you've done in front of more people, either by seeking out higher-profile clients or by finding other ways of promoting it. Help people out, do great work, and get that work seen. It's hard to build a big agency on word of mouth alone, but it sure helps the process. That's all I have for you guys this week. Next week, I'll be back with James Carberry, who will talk about the strategy he used to add over $4 million to his agency's pipeline in only seven months. This interview is solid gold. I'll talk to you then. See ya.